Some amazing eye-catching stock market data this week. Let's get right into it. Well, first and foremost, uh, this, and you might want to pause this. Also, it's on my Telegram channel. The links are in the biog. This is sector relative performance in different inflationary periods. Uh, and you can see whether or not inflation is above trend and falling or below trend and or rising. And what we see at the moment, it's, I'd argue it's above trend and rising, though some people, and this is the problem, some economists are saying, oh no, it's above trend and falling, which seems somewhat um, uh, dubious. Uh, but you can see which sectors you might tactically be better off in. And uh, obviously energy uh, is up there and makes a big difference whether or not you think we're above trend and rising or, well, we're certainly not below trend and falling, so that won't matter. And if we're below trend and rising, it also makes sense to be in that one. So that's where you go with that data. As I say, you might want to pause it. This is Vertex Pharmaceuticals. The major problem with most of the stocks at the moment that you might want to look at is that there are very few which are oversold and rising. There are many which are overbought and are hitting all-time highs and one's dubious as to whether or not they're overvalued or not. Um, so this is an exception to the rule in that it had good valuation, good revenue growth, good cash flow. I bought it, declare my interest. And it had been, at the, the dotted line at the bottom is two standard deviations below its average over the last, what, since 2006. And the dotted line at the top is two standard deviations above that long-term average. So it's had its long-term average trend line growth there. Uh, but, the but the technical indicators, so put the fundamentals to one side, the technicals show that there's still some room to the upside, possibly, you know, move up to two standard deviations above. Anyway, one of the few which look good. Amgen, similar kind of story. This is from JP Morgan Asset Management. Okay, and it shows the S&P 500 and various inflection points since the low of March 2020. So we're talking two years ago. Uh, it's doubled, but the price earnings ratio is at a multiple of 19 and a half, uh, whereas it used to be at a multiple of 13. So some of that doubling is down to just the multiple people are willing to pay uh, for the market. But some of it is genuinely down to the fact that earnings have substantially increased. Okay, and you can see at different points in history, what does the P tend to be? Well, at a multiple of 19 and a half, it tends not to just zoom ahead and deliver extraordinary results. Okay, so that's anyway where we are at the moment, and which is one more reason to be particularly cautious. The S&P 500 valuation measures, the forward PE, as I said, we're at about 19 and a half, with one standard deviation above the 25-year average. And whilst we can sustain this level, you probably wouldn't be looking to argue that we're about to jump ahead. Pause this, have a look at the, the Cape, the Schiller's PE, and so on, uh, which will give you a pretty good idea of whether or not we're overvalued. And on most measures, we remain so. Well, what does that mean? Well, that suggests that our forward returns, whilst they may be positive, are not likely to knock the ball out of the park. If you look at the forward P and likely subsequent one-year returns, what this is suggesting over here is that a multiple of nine and a half, our one-year returns are more likely to be modest than obviously if the P was low. Now, there are many exceptions through. You can have a 19 and a half and you could have a 25% return in a year. 
okay, but it's less likely to be the case. And the picture's clearer when you look at the five-year outlook on that, okay? Now, let's have a look at current PE versus 20-year average according to value, growth, small cap, mid cap, and large cap, and where you might want to try and get your returns. Again, if you look at this based on longer term periods, where we are at the moment versus the 20 year average and what kinds of returns one might be looking at. Now, personally, uh, uh, the way I tend to look at things, I just said blend, well, I look at what's relatively undervalued and good growth at the same time. Uh, so I, and that doesn't mean it's blend, by the way, uh, but you can see the tenure annualized over there. What do you find? Well, large caps do tend to do uh, rather well, certainly allowing for the volatility and the risk, which this doesn't. Uh, I'd prefer to be in the larger caps as a broad rule. Uh, and you might say, well, wait a minute, aren't they significantly overvalued? Uh, and you can see the extent of overvalue on some of this. Yes, if you're looking at large cap growth, less so if you're looking at large cap value. You might say, well, wait a minute, why not just go into small cap value because they're undervalued? Yes, well, that's the whole nature of undervaluation. It tends to stay that way for a while, doesn't it? Oops, you can see the numbers over there. So I don't think I'm going to be just going in at the small caps, although there is, you know, you can see since the market is low, you can see that the market has tended more to favour that since March 2020. But year to date, hey, yeah, look, large caps uh, haven't done too bad. And equally, the large caps haven't fallen as fast. So I'm going to stick with the large cap and go for my value growth income uh, measurements which capture both valuation and revenue growth and again links in the biog on that. S&P and TRIO declines where are we at the moment? Well we're down about five percent we were as low as minus 13. Well so you know what can you draw what conclusion can you draw? Well you could draw the conclusion uh, that there's nothing unusual about any of that. That's probably the only conclusion you can draw from that data. Don't try and read into data too much than is actually there, <laughs> he says. Time diversification and volatility of returns. Just a useful reminder that if you're looking at a rolling 20-year period, you're probably looking to... Man, 20 years is a hell of a long time, as you know. Seven to, some of you aren't even 20 years old, mentally or physically. So you've got 17% if you're just in stocks. But if you're only looking at a one-year return, you can see that volatility. And that's really the concern. You know, everybody wants to be up 47%. Nobody wants to be down 39 And that's why some, of, some people might look at a 50-50 portfolio uh, to try and avoid some of that or just look at elongating their time frame. So either you can look to take less risk, which removes your, which reduces your returns, or you can elongate your time frame uh, when looking at things. And finally, I leave you with this. Year to date, which sectors have done the best? There you go. Pretty, I mean, cash doesn't usually come out near the top. Commodities, no surprise. Uh, now, what does that tell me? Well, asset allocation is where you're picking a mixture over in a basket of these. And, you know, if you wanted to gamble on anything, you'd probably go for that. Other people tend to look for patterns and they say, oh, the bright orange ones are near the top often enough. Well, are they at the moment? They're right at the bottom. Uh, again, making my case earlier that I'd still prefer the, the large caps. And uh, what would you draw from that? Well, you'd say if you're going to take a top down approach, you're better allocating assets, i.e. picking uh, a group of sectors, pretty much all of them, into a basket. And if you are going to be bottom up and pick individual stocks, then this doesn't matter in many ways. Okay, so that's that. Have a look at the links in the biog where you will find my 
download to my book, my Telegram channel, uh, my WhatsApp, my emails, uh, my inside leg measurements. Thank you very much.